Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome back to CPI Podcast. I trust you're well. Thanks for joining me. If you're a regular listener, I hope you've been enjoying our Back to Basics series and, of course, the Container Self-Storage mini-series that's going on right now. The Back to Basics episodes are our opportunity to cover frequently asked questions in a few short minutes, just to focus in on a specific question or topic. The Thursday episodes, which you're listening to right now, will continue to be a mixture of interviews with real commercial property investors, people actually out there buying commercial properties, and industry experts, plus topics that deserve a deeper dive, such as today's. Now, in my humble opinion, I have a great episode here for you today that I think might really help those of you who are trying to work out how to add value to commercial property. Now, that phrase, how do you add value to commercial property, gets talked about all the time, as though it's simple or you just wave a magic wand. But that's no good if you're in a maze of trenches, getting covered in property particulars, muddy opinions, expert commentary and blanked by the commercial property secret society. But that's what we're here for at the CPI podcast, to help clear up one muddy trench at a time. Now, as it happens, a number of the techniques we've used in residential also work here too, but others are quite particular to the commercial space. And I've been asked this question a few times, so as I say, I've decided to do an episode about it, I've drawn up a list for you, and in fact, as I say this, I reckon we're going to have to put together a PDF on the back of this episode. We'll share details of that on the website in the show notes, but I must make a mental note about that. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list, but I have jotted down a few key strategies And I've divided them up into three parts, I think, just to make it more digestible. The first one is increasing income. That helps with value. Second one is adding value by improving the contract or the lease. The third one is adding value through improving the offer. Now, the first two don't always involve a lot of money. The the third one, sorry, can involve quite a bit of capital expenditure which most of us have a sense of anyway from residential improvements. And we can understand, you you know, if you add value here by increasing capital value, that's obviously going to have an impact on the overall value. But in commercial, only if it increases the income or improves the quality of the tenant that comes in. So you have to bear that in mind. It's not a straight like for like. Anyway, I've tried to keep it more based on lease space as 
as a list that is, because I think if we start talking about license space, it would just be a much, much longer list. Anyway, let's dive in. So the first part is simply adding or increasing income. Now, we all know that improving the income in commerce property has a significant impact on the value. Valuers will value property on different aspects that the bank or the lending institution will ask for. But basically, you'll have things like the covenant or the quality of the, the tenant, the length of the lease that's running, the location, lots of different things there. In fact, I talked about that recently in another episode. And the income. The income has a really big impact on the value of the property. So how can we adapt that? How can we change the income? So first thing I've got here is increasing the lease rental or removing any caps at the renewal stage. Now, you can't always increase rental amounts during the lease unless there's already a clause in there for that, but you can't be significant. But when you come into renewal time, that's a good time to check up on things like inflationary uplift, and caps that apply to service charges. So hidden deep in a contract somewhere on the back pages or middle to back, there'll be a section about service charges and service charge caps, particularly if it's a multi-let building. Could still all be leased, but it's just that there'll be some communal services there. And on the front of the lease, it might say, you know, tenant Y is going to be paying X for the rent and a proportion of the overall service charge. But then it actually refers to that later on, much deeper in the contract about, well, actually, yes, they're going to pay for their proportion of the service charge, but it's capped to X. And the problem is, if the service costs go over that, you end up paying them. So that's a good thing to try and remove or negotiate out of a lease. And also, if there is a cap on the inflationary uplift. So sometimes there's a there's a a formula they use for increasing service charges and for increasing the rental. But actually, when you get to the end of a renewal period, that's when to really tackle these things. So that doesn't necessarily involve spending capital, but what it does involve is a lawyer and working through all the contracts and working out the best way of presenting a new contract and removing some of those caps. Second thing on that list is finding a tenant. Full stop. Now, this is obviously if the property is vacant. That would really help, right? So that will definitely increase income, which will definitely help with value. If the property is vacant, it will be valued at vacant possession. And when it's occupied, it's valued more from an investment point of view for somebody who's buying an income with a tenant in the place. So you have to remember a lot of commercial investors are not looking necessarily for value. And it's not their main business. They're looking for somewhere to part their money and earn an income. So you have to remember that's how some view this market. So finding a tenant, yeah, that would really help. Next thing, what about utilising unoccupied areas of the property? Now, this could be outside. It could be waste ground or using an oversized car park for things like lay-down storage or container storage, even my favourite thing. The thing about it, remember, is often these buildings, when they were built, they were built for a certain purpose, which now is probably finished. And... They may have had too much parking. It might be in a call centre and there was loads of parking. But now you don't need so much. So it's finding these spaces that are maybe underutilised and ideally leasing them out. Not necessarily just dealing with people that come in and out every couple of months doing different things. Ideally you would lease it out. 
That's certainly what I've seen done with a few buildings. And we've put container storage on. It's not leased. It's good income from it. But I've seen it where people will actually lease that out to container storage people as well. So that's one area of improving income and therefore value. The other one, of course, is using underutilized upper floors, which is often the case with retail units. In other words, it's taking space that's currently under-occupied or underutilized and putting a tenant in, changing the use, whatever it happens to be, to add more income, which should add more value. Now, we'll come on to change of use later on, but it's just interesting to see that with permitted development and stuff in certain locations, you are able to now start using these upper floors much quicker through the planning system. The only thing is the value is getting underpinned by that, so it's a bit more difficult to find good deals. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Fourth one I've got here in this first part about adding or increasing income is adding signage. If the site is visible and it's a viable thing to put in, why not look at putting in signage? Now, I'm not saying you go and control it yourself and sell the adverts to local businesses. I'm talking about maybe leasing it to somebody. Now, either to one business that leases the sign, and that's fine, or to somebody with digital signage. Now, we had Craig Denholm in the podcast on episode 154 talking about that. So if it's something you're interested in, get back to that episode. It's really quite an interesting business model, but, but from a landlord point of view, you could lease it and get a specific income coming in, which then has a value. Great. So first part, increase lease rental or remove any caps. Find a tenant, of course, if it's unoccupied. Utilise unoccupied areas of the property if there's already an existing tenant some of it and add signage. Next one. This is about adding value through changes to the lease or the contract. So a little bit more complex sometimes, but it's more of a paperwork exercise. So first one on my list here is replace the existing tenant at the end of the lease with a higher value client. Easy as that, right? (laughs) Now, sometimes it's not as easy to change a client out, of course, but if you are able to and you can find a client on a long FRI lease, particularly if they're a large stable company, as in... (laughs) a robust company rather than a stable company, that it can, it can significantly add value without you actually even increasing the income. So as an example, if Joe's Coffee Corner Shop has been in your old bank building for the last five or six years and the lease is coming to an end, they may or may not renew, you find Starbucks who want to move in there, you may not charge any more income, but the value of the property is completely changed because the valuer, the market sees Starbucks as a strong customer. Whereas Joel, because it's his only unit, they're a little bit more wary of that. And they will expect a higher yield, which therefore deflates the price. So, interesting dynamic there, which is a whole podcast in itself. But basically, we're just talking about finding a new tenant at the end of a lease. Another way to add value through alternate contract is to extend the lease, though. So some investors get nervous when the end of a lease is approaching and may try to sell. As I say, we have to remember a lot of these um, investors do not see commercial property as their main business and often their motivations for investing can be really quite different from our own. So for them, a safe, secure income for 10 years could be the magic sweet spot they're looking for. Somewhere to park their money and to earn an income while they continue doing their other business. But as a lease nears an end, they're just not interested in the hassle. It's done 10 years, it's brought, it's paid off the capital they put in already, and they're looking for the next thing. They just want rid. 
Maybe not something you might do, but that's how some people operate. Now, if you actually took time to talk to the tenant who's in that property about their plans when the lease is coming near that end, just quickly cut off for a second. Often you see in the auction listings are properties at a high potential yield because they've only got 18 months, 12 months left on the lease. That's when the current landlord is saying, I don't want to go through the process of having to find a new tenant. Let's sell it while there's still some value in here. And if you talk to those tenants, as I say, about the possibility of extending the lease and they intimate they're keen to stay put, then, once you've done your due diligence, of course, then when you buy it and renegotiate a lease extension, that removes the nervousness for those vanilla investors and therefore increases the price they're willing to pay for the income. So again, this strategy doesn't involve increasing the income itself, although it would be good to do so as a matter of course when you come to an end of a lease or extend the lease, but it's about the paperwork and the, the value of the income because now the income's secure for longer. Another one here, just while I'm talking about leases, is extending the ground lease. Not always a ground lease in place. Sometimes the property is owned under freehold, but sometimes it's leasehold. And this is where somebody effectively owns the site, the ground. This building that's sitting on it as part of the ground, as it were, and it's leased to... Um, sorry, that's not always the case. Sometimes the ground is just leased. Somebody else takes on that lease, builds a building, does their thing, but then that comes back to market. And... Ground leases can be quite complex. Sometimes it can be just a, a figure every year that you have to pay someone. Sometimes there are very little um, in terms of the actual amount. It's just that the previous owner, or sorry, the ground lease owner just wants to retain ownership and control of the overall area. It might be an industrial area or something like that. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is if a ground lease is shrinking, and it's getting below a certain length, then, and that might be, say, 50 years or something, then lending can be more difficult and it reduces the long-term value of the property. So, as in residential, if you can renegotiate the ground lease and extend it, then that will help improve the value. And to do that, some of the things you need to do are maybe find comparables where that leaseholder has already increased the lease length to somebody else, or, of course, just speak to them and ask them whether they'd be willing to do it, and of course, what the cost of that would be. So, either increase the head lease or the ground lease to add value in the eyes of valuers and future investors. And here's probably a good point to talk about options. So, it is possible to gain control of a property or a site under an option agreement. So, this is where basically you, for a fee, give the current owner this fee or this option fee to take control of the site. You don't own it, but take control of the site and you have an option to buy it at a, by a certain date for a certain amount. Now, when you've got the option in place, you have the ability to go out and safe and secure in the knowledge that you're not going to be sidestepped and go out and try and find a value add. And of course, when it comes to the end of the option period, if you haven't exercised the option, then it defaults and the owner then keeps whatever the option fee was. That's basically how that works. And it might be as part of the option, there's some planning gain element for them and that sort of thing. But effectively what you're doing is gaining control. Now you can go out to market and try and find a way of increasing value, either through some of the things we talked about 
or through maybe putting in a new lease, renegotiating the old one, um, and then selling on as an investment. And basically, you could sell the option, not the property. You don't have to exercise your option and buy the property. You could just sell the option on to somebody else who then buys the property and does whatever's going to be needing to be done. So you don't actually need to find capital for that one. So it's quite an interesting one. Now, the last one in the lease section is changing the offer. And this is where I touch on licenses. So you basically could change the offer from leases to licenses. There's been previous episodes about this, but basically it might not add value right now, but it could add significant income. I do think though, that there may at some point be a change in the industry where it moves more towards valuing multiple tenants as a hedge against the risk of people leaving. Because what effectively happens if one tenant leaves, you don't lose all of your income. Um, Imagine the industry did adapt that model. And I'm not saying they will, but just imagine they did. Because that would really improve the value of the property because actually it's perceived as less risky. Now, there's more and more chatter about this in the industry, particularly as the bigger investors are moving into more flexible space. So it's really just something to keep an eye on. But the principle of this one is changing the offer from lease to license to give you more income, not necessarily a lot more value. Um, Just to summarise on the lease section then, we could replace the existing tenant at the end of the lease with a higher value client, or we could extend the lease because it's becoming short, extend the ground lease if that's an issue, and change the offer from leases to licences. There are other little quirks you could change within the lease, but that's basically um, the fundamentals of looking at properties that have a current lease in place and how can I asset manage this lease, basically? How can I improve this lease when we come to an end of it? Or as we're getting near to the end of it. So you could renegotiate with the tenant before you get to the end, at least, of course, for a new lease. Hold on, just before we go on, have you heard of SAS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to directly influence their own pension pot, including using it to buy commercial property. Imagine wrapping a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. It's possible with a SAS pension. That's a small, self-administered scheme, by the way, Now, I'm not an advisor on the mechanics of how they work, so when setting up my own, I found an expert to help me out. Paul Barry of SAS Consultants guided me through the process and answered all of my questions and made sure I knew what I was getting into and that it aligned with my long-term goals. SAS and commercial property investing really work well together. If you want to dig into the details of how a SAS pension can work for you, then get in touch with Paul for a free chat. It takes time to understand the nuances of SAS pension rules, and Paul helped us every step of the way. You'll find his details in the show notes. Right, third part. Let's jump onto that. This one's where we're talking more about physical aspects of the property. Usually applies more to vacant properties, of course, or soon to be vacated, because this is when we maybe get a little bit more messy. Okay, so first one. We'll all be familiar with this. This is renovate and modernise the property. We all do this with residential. This is the Burr strategy. Buy, refurb, refinance and whatever. And then there's flips where you buy the asset, do it up, improve it, take out the olive bathroom suite and put in a nice brand new suite, new kitchen and flip it on. So there's nothing stopping you doing the same in commercial property because there are lots of properties out there that have been built for a different purpose. They've come to the end of their use and now they need repurposed and modernised and that can be done. The key issue, of course, is 
you do need to find a tenant. I would say buying a, a commercial unit, doing it all up, making it all pretty, and then expecting to sell it without putting a tenant in, it's probably a little bit of folly there. I think you really need those two together hand in hand I would say but if you modernize the property and regenerate it and make it a much nicer place to be more attractive then naturally you should be able to find a tenant more easily and you've maybe solved the problem and the reason why it's vacant because it's just needing done up right so the next one is subdividing one of my favorite things to suit more modern uses again going back to that model of an older building that was built for a particular function function no longer there People have moved out, maybe gone bust, whatever it is. Now it's surplus to requirements and it's on the market. And it doesn't really suit any single occupants anymore. It might even be a retail unit. It might be that it's a medium-sized retail unit. It just doesn't really quite fit the the um, the larger companies, but it also doesn't fit the more local ones because it's just slightly too large. Maybe we could subdivide this into two units. For me, it's often been offices, sometimes industrial, where you've just got a big building with loads of different units and let's just subdivide it. And that way we can improve the income. Now, it doesn't mean that those subdivisions are then given to people under licenses. You could do it under leases, particularly if you're looking at flipping on, that might be the way to do it. And it does depend on the size and the layout of the property. But subdivision can definitely add more value, particularly if it brings a building into use where it wasn't being used before. So I touched on this one before, change of use or planning gain. So again, might not need any spade work on this one. For example, you might take an out-of-town retail unit that's not been doing well, it's been struggling, change it into industrial. Obviously, we need planning gain, right? We need planning use change, of course, with the local authority. But nevertheless, if we get it, we may be able to find a tenant much more easily because it's industrial, because it's such a hot sector right now. And that doesn't necessarily mean you buy the building. You could do it under options again. But basically, it's taking a property and actually changing the use rather than just putting in a different take on, for instance, office suites. So maybe you have a huge office building, you're subdividing into lots of little offices. You don't have to change use. You're just changing the size and the type of clients moving in. But if you actually change the use completely from retail to industrial, getting into a different sector that's hotter. Or it might be office to residential. And permitted development has made it slightly more difficult, I would say, to get well-priced and loved stock, as a lot of the pricing is now underpinned by potential resi use. But nevertheless, it's definitely an option, is looking at offices that you, or retail that you can um, get permitted development rights on. It is worth pointing out, of course, that's not necessarily possible in Scotland and, I guess, other parts of the world. There may be other uh, policies, planning policies that are working where you are based. But this particular one is where we are effectively saying, look, let's take this current use. The building's not suit. It's just not suitable. Nobody's using it for that. Change it to something else and you can get a good uplift in value without necessarily actually doing the spade work. So next one, increase energy efficiency. This is the whole reducing carbon footprint spectacular thing that's on the horizon that many boardrooms are talking about the world over and they have property firmly in their sights. How can they save not only money, but how can they save carbon? Because it's becoming a really big thing for them. It might not be important to... We, um, Joe and his coffee shop right now, 
but it's definitely important to some of the large occupants and to the suppliers of those large occupants because they're looking at their scope one, two and three emissions. When it's scope three, if you're in that chain, it's going to include you. So if you can improve the energy efficiency, improve the or reduce the carbon footprint, which doesn't just come through energy efficiency, there's other factors in there too, then you're making the building much more attractive and more future-proof. And when somebody comes along and looks at four buildings and you're one and yours is the only one that's done all these improvements, which one are they going to pick? And are they going to be prepared to pay a premium for it? Yeah, I would say they would. Interestingly, if you don't do any of it and the property's vacant, the chances are it'll be valued downwards because the EPC, the energy performance of the building, may actually be viewed by the valuer as a problem. Something to keep your eyes on. So I think it's really important to, to look at these things now when you're getting vacant buildings back, increasing energy efficiency, reducing the carbon footprint, making yourself attractive or your property attractive to those larger firms and future tenants. Another little one here is improving accessibility to the site itself or into the property. So some sites have been designed for totally different uses, we've said before, but now you need to improve it or widen it. This is transport access. You might have a car park that's a bit awkward to get to, or there's an element of it that had uh, space for lorry deliveries, but now actually that's no use. It's not something that's needed, and perhaps you just need to alter how that works. Because some people, when they come to look at a site, don't always visualise how it could be improved. They may look at problems about why they can't do business there. Your job, really, our job is to make that as frictionless as possible, to try and reduce any problems that the client sees or things they may have to spend money on to make the building work for them. And if the building is of a certain age, then disability access is going to need to be addressed to attract certain clients. Again, it's that thing about if they come and look at it and say, no, we're going to need this, that and the other, they're either going to ask you to spend the money on it or they're going to think they have to spend the money on it or they're just going to think, I can't be bothered because the building down the road doesn't have this problem. So this leads me into the next one, really, which is about bringing in some tech, reducing friction for customers moving in. So with tech, maybe you could look at increasing or improving the security or increasing the efficiency. This isn't just by putting insulation in. This is like putting in modern building management software and kit to actually manage the building and how it operates. Or it could include the internet. So just taking that as an example, super fast gigabit lines are becoming a bit ubiquitous. They're becoming a commodity. And if you think about it, without it being in place, a potential new client will have to wait at least three months to get one in. And if they're a big organisation, that might just be too long. And I have noticed there is a trend now for bigger landlords to put those in. And then they'll bill across to the customer. But it's in, so the customer can move in faster, there's less friction. And if you haven't got it in, they might just go somewhere else where they do. Now, I appreciate putting it in will cost you money when there isn't a client. But if you've got a multi-let, of course, that cost will always be getting covered by different clients in there when people come and go. But it's something to look at. Tech, how do we improve the um, building management software, the internet access and security? All things that have improved over the last few years because of tech, well, let's maybe go and do that so it makes the building more attractive again. Increase the value. And then the last one I've got in this section is building new. 
So this is taking on underdeveloped parts of the site or even maybe the whole building and redoing it. But this is in the same vein really as number one, where we talked about lay down storage or containers. It's just we're adding something more permanent, something bricks and mortar, which is more about capital value. Containers, as much as I love that business, they're not going to increase in value. They'll produce great cash flow. And they will last a long time, but nevertheless, they will diminish in value. Whereas when you build an extension or a new building, totally different proposition, right? Only thing to remember is, unlike Resi or, or influenced less than Resi, you go and build something that somebody uh, the market doesn't necessarily want in terms of commercial, then you may get a tenant and who doesn't pay the target rent you're after and therefore all that capital you've spent actually has diminished not gone up so it isn't an automatic thing it's not automatic in resi either but in commercial you need a lot more due diligence to make sure when you do that it's worthwhile we've actually only done one or two extensions and kind of new build i guess very seldom most of the time it's redeveloping an existing building because that stock is so much cheaper and building is just so much more expensive so you're your entry cost for a customer are just that much higher. The threshold's higher, and I'm just not comfy with that, especially when things go a bit more difficult in the economy because you've got to maintain a certain level of income, whereas if you've spent less on that building, redeveloping it, then you've got more of a lower threshold. Anyway, I hope that's helped. So basically, there's three parts here. Just quickly running through them again. First one was about adding or increasing income. So that's increase the lease rental or remove any caps at the renewal time. The next one, of course, is a simple one and sensible one, which is find a tenant. If there isn't one and it's vacant, let's find a tenant. That's going to increase value. Utilize unoccupied areas of the property. Is there some spaces there that are just not getting used externally or internally? Add signage. Try and put it under a lease. Second part, adding value through changes to the lease or the contract. So we could replace the existing tenant at the end of the lease with a higher value client or perceived higher value client so that our valuer will give us a lower yield, therefore a higher multiple. and Therefore, when we come to sell, if we do, we should get a higher price for it. Second one there is extending the lease itself, whether that's the lease to the tenant or, of course, the ground lease that might come with the property. Both of those will um, add value and reduce that nervousness that investors would have if they think a lease is coming to an end. Then the last one in that section was really just trying to look at whether changing from leases to a license agreement will give you much better cash flow and flexibility and perhaps less voids. Maybe being biased there, but I do think that is worth looking at. It's certainly something we've used a lot. The third part then was adding value through improving the offer, the more physical aspects of the property. So renovate and modernize, subdivide, change of use, increase energy efficiency, improve accessibility to the site and to the building, making it more attractive, removing that friction, which leads us on to bring in some tech, make it so that it's already there, the internet, the security, the modern building management software, because companies are going to be looking for that more and more as we move into a more carbon neutral era. And then the last one, of course, is building new. Building new either on the underdeveloped parts of the site, where there's maybe some um, brownfield areas, or potentially knocking the building down and building something completely new. Okay, so I hope that helps. Thank you for listening. I hope it's been reasonably succinct. 
As mentioned, we will pull that together into PDF, so you don't need to write loads of notes. Well, maybe I should have told you at the start. It will be on the website shortly-ish. We'll put a link in the show notes, so at least you can leave your details so that when we do have that PDF ready, we can send it straight out to you. Last thing, while you're down there in those show notes, could you please take a moment to leave a positive review, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes or wherever, all reviews are very gratefully received. Plus, they improve the podcast for all of us. Increases our audience, which in turn feeds everything else that grows our podcast into a bigger and better beast. Okay, thanks for tuning in. Time for me to sign off. Catch up with you again very soon.